Book One, Chapter Eight of Round the Block by John Belbooten. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Maltboy's Twentieth Affair. The house which had elicited Quigg's last sagacious remark was a three-story brownstone front and was one of the finest looking on the south side. The heavy mahogany door was opened by a slovenly girl who ushered the callers into the front parlor, which was carefully darkened according to the custom of the day. The only objects plainly visible were two female figures, each seated near a front window, under the rosy shade of damask curtains artfully disposed. One of the ladies, whom Matthew Maltboy was not slow to recognize, looked like a fountain of pink silk gushing out with great vehemence in high curving jets on every side, from which fountain a slim graceful figure had risen as far as the waist like a modern Arethusa. The gleam of a shapely neck, of a pearl necklace and diamond cross, of diamond earrings, of an enormous gold brooch, of golden jives an inch broad on each wrist, as the rose-tinted rays fell on those natural and artificial charms, produced a dazzling effect in the shady corner. On plainer persons this display might have seemed, in Maltboy's eyes, a glaring instance of bad taste, but looking at that small oval face, those large flashing black eyes, complexion of red and white, so beautifully blended that it hardly seemed a work of nature, pouting lips, even white teeth, and heavily braided hair. Maltboy thought that no decorations could be too gaudy for a creature of such radiant loveliness. At the same instant, as their feet passed the parlor threshold that Maltboy made these comprehensive observations, the quick eyes of Fayette Overtop were scanning the lady that basked in the subdued light of the other window. She rose from a smaller fountain of silk to a less height than her companion, she was fat to such a degree that the bodice of her dress seemed ready to burst with the excessive pressure beneath, immediately suggesting to every beholder the obvious humanity of enlarging it. By taking only a small portion from the superfluous silk below, she was quite pretty and very healthy and had a smile lurking on her lips and in the corners of her small blue eyes and in the dimples of her round red cheeks and in the curved crease which was beginning to show under her apple of a chin. She wore plain colors and exhibited no ornaments save a large brooch with braided hair in it. The lean overtop immediately felt a tender inclination toward this fat young lady. Mr. Quigg paid the compliments of the season in his neat settled style to Miss Waddell, the tall young lady, who received them with marked coldness and then begged leave to introduce Messrs. Overtop and Maltboy, to whom she smiled graciously, rising slightly from her chair and sinking back again without disturbing the symmetrical flow of the silken fountain. With a wave of her jeweled right hand she performed the ceremony of introduction between the three callers and Mrs. Frump, the fat young lady, who also carefully raised herself about two inches from her chair and lowered herself again without disarranging a ripple. In compliance with an invitation from Miss Waddell, the three callers sat down. Mr. Maltboy gravitated by a natural instinct to the side of his charmer, 
Mr. Overtop was drawn by an irresistible impulse into the vicinity of Mrs. Frump, having detected in her general appearance certain indications of what he called a sensible woman. Mr. Quigg, feeling that he was one too many, took a seat equally removed from the two ladies, and commenced playing soft tunes on his hat, and looking vacantly about the room. "'I had begun to wonder, Mr. Maltboy,' said Miss Weddell, "'what makes our friends so backward to-day. I do declare we have not had a caller for more than—how long is it, Gusty?—since Colonel Bigford dropped in.' Maltboy thought her voice had a sweet metallic ring. "'About half an hour,' replied Mrs. Frump, after a brief mental calculation. "'Why, Gusty!' exclaimed Miss Weddell. "'How can you sit there and tell such stories? You know it is not five minutes.' "'Just as you please, dear,' said Mrs. Frump, leaving on the minds of her hearers the impression that her estimate was the correct one. "'I never saw anything so slow,' pursued Miss Weddell. Would you believe it, Mr. Maltboy? Here are two hours gone, and we have not had more than— How many callers have we had, Gusty? You keep account of them. Mrs. Frump drew out a little memorandum book from one of her pockets and consulted. Exactly eleven, Clemmy, said she. Gusty Frump, returned Miss Waddell, with some warmth. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. We have had fifty callers, to my certain knowledge. I presume you are right, said Mrs. Frump, with a smile that irradiated the whole of her fat face, and again imparted the idea that Miss Waddell was wrong. For one, said Matthew Maltboy, improving the opportunity to put in a word, I should not be surprised to learn that you had a hundred. Miss Waddell appreciated the delicate compliment and beamed fascination upon him. It has been a horrid, dreary winter, has it not, Mr. Maltboy? said she, in a tone that invited sympathy and confidence. Mr. Maltboy, supposing that she alluded to the prevalent snow and ice of the season, said that it certainly had. No balls, no opera, or none to speak of, no parties or anything. You will hardly believe it, Mr. Maltboy, but I declare I haven't been to twenty parties this winter. Have I, Gusty? To only two that I know of, responded Mrs. Frump in a winning voice. "'You provoking creature,' said Miss Waddell, "'to talk so, when you know that I have been to at least eighteen parties.' Miss Waddell scowled charmingly as she spoke, and then added with a pleasant smile, for the benefit of Mr. Maltboy, "'She's a gay young widow, and you know what widows are.' Mr. Maltboy's knowledge of that species of the human family was extensive and exact. He nodded, to signify that he knew something of them, and felt forearmed, from that moment, against the charms of Mrs. Frump. Mrs. Frump told Miss Waddell that she thanked her very much for the compliment, and laughed so prettily that Fayette Overtop determined to apply some of his grand tests for the discovery of sensible women. Abandoning the vein of commonplace conversation which he had worked during the five minutes since his arrival, he remarked, it really makes us feel young again, does it not, Mrs. Frump, to renew this charming custom of receiving and making calls? Mr. Overtop spoke in general terms like a philosopher, whereas Mrs. Frump made a personal application of the remark to herself and replied rather coldly, 
I have no doubt that it makes old persons feel younger. And then she looked at Matthew Maltboy, and seemed to be listening to the conversation between him and Miss Weddell. Mr. Overtop paused a moment and tried again. Is it not pleasant, though sad, Mrs. Frump, to think of the friends whom we knew many, many years ago, who no longer live to greet us on this festal day? The speaker alluded to mankind at large. Mrs. Frump responded tartly that she could not speak from experience, of course, but she presumed that Mr. Overtop's opinion was correct. And again she glanced at Maltboy. Mr. Overtop briefly rested, and then remarked, It may be merely a poetical conceit of mine, but it seems to me that the horses prance higher and shake their bells more merrily on New Year's than any other day, as if they partook in our enjoyment of the occasion. May not the horse, by some mysterious instinct, know that it is the beginning of the year? Mrs. Frump smiled and answered, not being a horse, of course, I can't say, but I would suggest whether ostlers do not give their animals an extra quantity of oats on New Year's Day to make their action more stylish. Mr. Overtop marked a quizzical expression in the widow's left eye, and was disgusted. For the third time she looked intently at Matthew Maltboy, who was putting in a few words with great animation and then turned her face toward Mr. Quigg, who was taking his third mental inventory of the furniture and executing Hail Columbia with variations on his hat. It's a finer New Year's Day than the last one, is it not, Mr. Quigg? Mr. Quigg, who had an astonishing memory for dates and conditions of the weather, replied after a second's reflection, It is a much finer day, Mrs. Frump. It rained last New Year's. Perhaps you may remember my leaving an umbrella at the house where you were then stopping in 16th Street, and my calling for it again, on which occasion you said I reminded you of Paul Pry, in the play, who was always forgetting his umbrella. The widow laughed and said that she distinctly remembered the circumstances. Mr. Quigg, thus encouraged, went on, New Year's days differ very much. The one before the last was very snowy in the forenoon, with hail in the afternoon, and the one before that was so mild that I found an overcoat really uncomfortable. The one before—excuse me for the interruption, said Mrs. Frump suddenly, but I can't help saying how much Mr. Maltboy looks like Dr. Warts, doesn't he, Clemmy? Like Dr. Warts, exclaimed Miss Waddell. Who's he? Why, don't you remember, Clemmy, the doctor that you consulted about your hair? The widow looked the picture of guilelessness as she asked the question. Miss Waddell turned slightly red in parts of her face that were not red before, and involuntarily raised her hands to two heavy braids of hair which fronted each ear and adjusted them. Then she said sarcastically, Mr. Maltboy must feel much flattered at being compared with a notorious quack. Mrs. Frump, with a laugh spreading all over her gentle face, replied, Oh, of course you call him a quack because he could not save your— You are rude, madam, said Miss Waddell, with emotion. And you are silly, miss, retorted Mrs. Frump, still smiling, to take offense at nothing. 
You ought to be ashamed of yourself, madam. Greatly to the relief of the three callers who were seized with a desire to laugh aloud during this short snapping dialogue, a bell rang and a new figure entered upon the scene. The two ladies rose about three inches and greeted him as Mr. Chiffield. Mr. Chiffield bowed stiffly, smiled mechanically, and cast a sweeping glance at the three men present. This glance and the looks with which it was met called up a singular train of associations. Maltboy remembered the newcomer as a fellow who had trod on his corns getting into an Amity Street stage. Overtop remembered him as an eccentric individual who always carried without the slightest reference to existing weather an umbrella under his arm, with the point rearward, and held at just the angle to pierce the eye of a person walking incautiously after him. Overtop had frequently felt a strong inclination to pull the umbrella out from behind, and ask the bearer to carry it in a less threatening manner. Mr. Chiffield, on the other hand, readily recalled Matthew Maltboy as a suspicious person whom he had seen hanging around an uptown hotel about a year and a half before, when Maltboy was paying his ineffectual addresses to a cruel Cuban beauty who passed the summer months at that house. Mr. Chiffield had always supposed him to be a confidence man of superior abilities. Of Overtop, Mr. Chiffield was vaguely reminiscent. Unless he was mistaken, that person was the one who wore an entire suit of pepper and salt, including a felt hat, necktie, and gaiters, two summers before. Mr. Quigg was a novelty in Mr. Chiffield's eyes, but Mr. Chiffield was well known by sight to Mr. Quigg who also remembered to have heard that he was a partner in the great dry-goods house of Upjack, Chiffield & Co. Mr. Chiffield was about forty years of age, and had a bald head, a square heavy face, scanty whiskers, small shrewd eyes, and a bilious complexion. He dressed in profound black, wore his necktie negligently, exhibited neither ring nor breastpin nor gold chain, spoke as if he were always thinking inwardly of his private business, and never laughed. These peculiarities indicated beyond any doubt that Mr. Chiffield was a wealthy man, though it might be difficult to trace the exact processes of reasoning by which this conclusion was reached. Any unprejudiced stranger, seeing Mr. Chiffield and being told that he was a partner in a large dry-goods house, would instantly think, that dry-goods house will stand in the midst of fires, earthquakes, and financial revulsions. With that fine instinct peculiar to lovers, Matthew Maltboy immediately recognized in Mr. Chiffield a rival, and a dangerous one. Having seen much of society, Maltboy was well aware that Mr. Chiffield's mature age, his grim appearance, his sparse whiskers, and even the bald spot on the top of his head, were eminent advantages with which youth and bloom and a full head of hair could not cope, unless with the aid of that fascination which Matthew flattered himself that he possessed, and which, he thought, he had used to some purpose during his hurried conversation with his twentieth enslaver, Miss Waddell. The usages of New Year's Day, as well as frequent impatient nods from Quigg, 
and suggestive coughs from Overtop would not permit of his staying longer. He therefore rose to take his leave, his fellow pilgrims doing likewise, when Miss Waddell remarked that they were in a great hurry, and regretted that they could not remain a few minutes more. The captivated Maltboy toyed with his hat in an uncertain way, and was half disposed to sit down again, when Quigg hastily produced his visiting list, and said, with his best business smile, We should certainly be very happy, Miss Waddell, but we have seventy-five calls still to make, and it is now, consulting his watch, two o'clock. As the three visitors withdrew, declining at every step, a pressing invitation to taste the refreshments which were piled in mountainous form on a table in an adjoining alcove, Maltboy exchanged a look of deep, sentimental meaning with Miss Waddell, who rose at least six inches from her chair, and followed it with a slight hostile glare at Mr. Chiffield, upon whose equable face it fell harmless. Overtop bowed coldly to everybody, as if he were disappointed in the human species, and Quigg gave a parting grin at the room in general, and at nobody or nothing in particular. "'We're all right, Top,' whispered Maltboy, as they descended the steps to the sidewalk. She smiled slightly when I mentioned having seen her from our back parlor window. I have obtained permission to call again. "'You'll have to do it without me, my dear fellow,' returned Overtop, tossing back his head from force of habit, the offensive cowlick being then suppressed by his hat. Nothing on earth could induce me to speak to that dull widow again. She doesn't live there, said Quigg. She is some connection, I believe, of the queer old Dutchman that I spoke of, and is probably only helping Miss Waddell to receive callers. I should think from the way they abuse each other that they were old and dear friends. End of Book 1 Chapter 8